is good. Come on, give God a hand this morning. Amen. Y'all can be seated. All right. So this is um, just such an exciting sermon series that, that we're going down. And, and I know I've talked a lot about it. Some of y'all like you've talked it to death. That's good because just about the time that I feel like we've talked it to death, that's when everybody's really starting to get it. Um, so as, as we get into this, I think the big thing is, well, preacher, what, what to expect? What to expect? We titled this, this series, First Love. The, the phrase comes out of Revelation to the letter that uh, Jesus sent by way of John to the, um, the, the church at Ephesus, the, the one who had lost their first love. Now, let me clarify, because I'm not saying for even a moment that there's a Christian in here, a true born-again believing Christian who, would, who I'd say they, they don't love God. That's not the point. That's not what losing your first love is. What I am saying is this, there's, there's a scope of things that we're going to be dealing with over the next several weeks. In fact, one of the questions I've been asked several times is this, how long is this sermon series? Well, it is tentatively right now six messages, but it might take eight weeks or 10 weeks or longer. I don't know. It's going to take as long as it takes to get through it. Is, is that okay? Can we, can we be okay with that? And, and the, the reason why is I believe so, so, so strongly that much of what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks speaks so, so much to the heart of where we are as a church. And then on an individual level, where so many of us are personally, okay? And, and, and we're going to be dealing with... A, um, it's all, every, every message relates back to this concept of first love, but you're going to see it, it affects a lot of different areas of church life and individual life and just your walk with Christ. So you're going to see how this is such a core central issue. But before we get into this, I need everybody in the church to buy in to one thought here, because none of this works if I can't get every single person, every single person to buy into this one thought. You say, well, what, what's the one thought? This message is for me. Can, can, can we all agree? This for me, even as the pastor and every single person, every single member of the body of Christ, this message is for us. One of, one of the men I was speaking with this week, he said, uh, well, pastor, he said, I don't know how to do this. He said, but we've got to figure out how to convince everybody that everybody needs to be listening to this. And I said, I know, story of my life. I was getting my hair cut uh, Thursday afternoon this week. And um, I, I was sitting there listening. There was two ladies cutting hair. Um, I think they're mother and daughter. And um, they, they're, they're cutting hair and the one's cutting my hair and the other one's cutting another patron's hair. And there's a couple other people waiting in the, in the, the room there. And as, as we're there, I'm, you know, I talked to the lady that's cutting my hair. But for the most part, at this point, I was, I was kind of quiet. And the, the one lady that, that was cutting the other lady's hair, she, um, she was telling this story. And she said, um, 
she said something about, oh, my, my child, my teenage child made a post on social media, was answering some type of survey question or something like this. And it was like, what has ears but doesn't hear? And he quipped back, Christians. And I'm thinking, well, <laughs> he's not wrong. <laughs> Sometimes that's the way we do. And so I joked with him. I said, well, I'm a pastor, so I can kind of attest to that. Sometimes we get up on Sunday morning and we feel like, hey, I preached for what seems like two or three hours. Chuckle, chuckle. And nobody listened. Um, now, to the serious note, though, one of the things that concerns not just me, but so many pastors so much is this. Oftentimes we'll preach a message and we get this sense or sometimes we hear it directly from people, you know, maybe on the way out or something where they say, oh, that was such a good message, pastor, so-and-so needed to hear that. Now we chuckle and we laugh about this because this is, you know, this is a good church joke, but for just a moment, can I say this lovingly, but truthfully, this is for me. And I want you to repeat that. Do you, do you get that? This is for me, individually. It's for my family. This is for me. And, and I say me because I want you to internalize that. I'm not speaking at you. I'm speaking with you. This is for me. So you say, okay, preacher, what, what are we talking about? This morning, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Open your Bibles up and let me give you the outline of where we're going over the next several weeks. All right. Here it is. Today, we're going to cover that first and great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And, and as we cover that, it's the introduction for everything we're going from here on out. The, the second message of this series, I would like to call the hammer. Because if, this, if the second message of this series does half to you what it has done to me over the last few months of study and preparation, then I'm gonna warn you, you better come prepared for the second message with some tissues, with some knee pads, because it's gonna hurt. And, and I'm, again, I'm saying this lovingly as a pastor, as a shepherd, because I, I'm standing up here and I'm telling you this, it dealt with me first. It hurt me first. It cut me first. And so the second message really is the hammer. It will be two weeks from today. I'll be gone next Sunday. I shouldn't have said that. Half y'all are gonna lay out next week. But it, it's going to hurt. And it's gonna hurt hard. Because when we talk about first love and we talk about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, here's the, here's the caveat. It is not about loving God more than the other things about your life. It is about loving God exclusively. And that's where it hurts. And so we're gonna be dealing with, with just so many, so many concepts and, and very pointed 
number of idols and idolatry in our life and in our world. And I'm telling you, if you are afraid, you ought to be. Because if it does half to you what it has done to me over the last several weeks, it's going to hurt. But I promise you this, it's right and it's needful. And it will draw you closer to God and it will bring you to your knees before him. And it will be a sweet, yet a bitter time of repentance. Because that's what's needful. And then from there, we move to the the letter in Revelation to the church of Ephesus where they had lost their first love. And we're going to start to see some application of how this has played out, specifically in our context, in our church, right here, okay? And, and in doing so, we're going to open up the concept of, of where you fit in, the, in this body of Christ, where you fit, what is your purpose, what is your place. And, and from, from there, we move into the greater subject of how by, by Matthew 22 today, first and great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, how you can fulfill your place in the body of Christ. I, I, believe, I believe we're at a place where um, we're almost like a Picasso image of the body of Christ as a church. Now, I'm saying that, and I'm not, I'm not here to, to, you know, rebuke in a negative sense on that. Part of that is complimentary. There, I think there's many people in our church who, given the crisis that the church went through in the last several years, I think you ended up in a place of service because somebody else left and you said, okay, that needs to be done. I'll jump in and I'll do it. There's, that's not a bad thing in a time of crisis. Now, let, let me, let me, pull back the reins on a few of you <laughs> because what's happened is even before these messages have been preached, many have come to me and they've said, hey, preacher, um, I, I'm going to shift to a new place of service in the body. I get it. I know where your heart's coming from. I've talked to many of you. Um, the good news is what we're going to be dealing with is starting to work, but, 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 but hold off on one thing for a second, and that is this. Don't jump into another place of service until this issue of first love is fully dealt with in your heart. Please, 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 please listen to me. I beg you, allow God's word to really penetrate your heart and and really, really work and mold on us. You say, what's the desired outcome of this, Pastor? Because I think this is, this, and, and I'm spending a lot more time introducing this sermon series than I would any, any normal series. What's the, what's the desired outcome? Here's the desired outcome. If you want to skip to the end, right? The old, the old song, I've read the back of the book and we win. Uh, if you want to read the end of the sermon series, it, it would be uh, in Ephesians chapter four. He talks about the body of Christ growing spiritually and being effective as a body of Christ. That's what we want to see. The, the end of this, okay, here, here's, if, and we're, and we're going to judge this, we're going to measure this by the end. The end of this is, is this. I would like to see every single person in our church 
find their fitly joined together place in this body so that we can be the most effective body of believers possible. Is that good? You say, okay, that's kind of spiritualizing it, preacher. What, what do you mean? Let me bring it home to you. I want as a pastor to help you find your purpose and place in this church, not just in what ministry you serve in. We're gonna scrap that language for a little while. We're gonna talk about serving in your gift, not serving in your ministry. And I want to help you find your purpose, your gifting in this body, and then help you apply how does that gifting help you to live, breathe, function, serve, minister, worship, praise, all of the above within this body. Does that make sense? Does that help you see where we're going on this? And that's why I want to focus so much this morning on making sure that we have everybody bought into this. Because, because there's a lot of intentionality about what God does. You're not an accident. Your place here is not an accident. So, let's get into this message today. What is first love? What is first love? What is the the point of all of this? The point of all of this is to help everybody to walk away and say, not this, not that that was a good sermon for our church, but for everybody to walk away and say, that was a good sermon for me today. And I say me again, because I want, to, I want to identify with the church. I am not separate from the church in this, but me. This was a good sermon for me. In this passage, Matthew chapter 22, even the opening verses of this passage and of this whole series are going to be really a wake-up call for us as a church. Look at what Matthew chapter 22, verse 33 Says, when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But, verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. Pause, time out right there. So, who are Pharisees and Sadducees? If you're not um, super into Judaistic religion of the early first century, let me explain it to you. They were the religious people, and they were two different factions that fought a lot together. As religious people, that's us. As people who tend to fight a lot together and bump their heads against each other, that's also us. These people, the one group, had asked Jesus a question in the preceding verses earlier in this chapter, and Jesus had stumped them and answered their question so well that they walked away scratching their head and feeling pretty bad about themselves. So then the Pharisees jump in and they say, oh, now's our chance to show up our rivals, the Sadducees, by asking a question that will stump Jesus. And in today's terms, now's the chance for my ministry to show up better than somebody else's ministry. Now's the chance for for, um, my group in the church to really shine 
and to be, to be glorified. Listen, here's the point. If anything is being glorified in this church besides Jesus Christ, woe is us and we ought to be condemned. It's Jesus and Jesus only. And we are here to honor and to glorify him. So I'm gonna speak hard to the church and I wanna say this this morning. We are not rivals with one another. We are not rivals with one another. We are on the same team. We are working together to make a difference for one name, and that is Jesus Christ. We are not here to build the name of Beulah. We are not here to build the name of Stephen Green. We are not here to build the name of a ministry or a group or, or an entity or a mission. We are here to build the name of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let me give it to you real, church. And again, I'm saying this lovingly as a church. We've had some examples of rivalry in our church that we have got to stop doing. We have rivalry where people don't, don't appreciate the ministry or the efforts or the service or the praise of one another. And it grieves my heart. I've seen rivalry between our off-campus and our on-campus groups. Instead of having a rivalry between the two, let's have a mutual respect for the two. We had our rivalries between different types of study within the group. This, my group studies better than this group, or this group uses this kind of study, and I'm not sure they're getting the Bible taught. And, and we've had these rivalries. We've had rivalries between the different stages of ministry and the different missions that we do. We've had rivalry between the different types of discipleship that happens, whether it happens in a classroom on the church or whether it happens in, in a, child's living, a child's bedroom or a home living room or a baseball field or a school campus. Why are we fighting with one another? Instead of praising the work that God is doing, our ministries are different because God has gifted us differently and we should celebrate the differences as unity within the body of Christ. We've had so many rivalries. And we've had so many times where people just, they, they, they don't appreciate the work that somebody else is doing. And it grieves my heart. Because instead of putting one another down, we should be celebrating one brings their lost friend to the church and they get saved. Another yields or wins their lost child to Christ at home on their knees in their bedroom. But why is any redemption story less important or less valuable than another? They're both a miracle by God. One discipleship happens in a dining room at a local restaurant and the other happens in a classroom here on this campus, but neither is better than the other. Let's support and uplift and encourage one another instead of condemning and backbiting and proudfully exalting ourselves against one another. Let me say it this way. There's no age rivalry in this church either. As much as these littlest ones in our church 
are the church of today, so our senior adults are the church of today. The children are not the church of tomorrow and the elderly are not the church of yesterday. We are the church of today. And so church, let's put the rivalries aside and focus on Jesus Christ. Let me put it this way to you. God has you here for a reason. It is not an accident that you are here in this church and you have a purpose and place in this church. You, me, I, so many of you, I love this. This, this just is so encouraging to me. So many of you constantly, I mean, it's one thing as a pastor, your first month, your first six months, I, I'm over a year now, honeymoon's over, here I am. This is who I am, no surprises anymore. You, you know me, you know who I am, this is it, right? And so many of you, it's so encouraging when y'all still come up to me and you say, Pastor, I know that God brought you here for a reason. That is really, really encouraging to me, right? I don't have any doubt of it, but it's nice to know that you don't have any doubt of it too. That's, it's just, I, I, I'm encouraging by that. But let me turn that around on you. I know God has you here for a reason. Every single one of you, you have a place in this church. You say, preacher, I'm not so sure about that. Maybe I'm kind of lost. Maybe, maybe I, I don't have a place in this church. Maybe I don't have a purpose in this church. Let's discover it together. Can we do that? Let's figure it out together. All right, I started our text. Let's continue reading it. Verse number 35, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. In Leviticus 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Y'all didn't realize I was gonna preach over half of the Old Testament today, did you? Amen. We're gonna get all of the Pentateuch, we're gonna get all of the prophets, and it all comes down to those two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what I like about this, okay, the, the lawyer's question was, what's the biggest commandment, right? In other words, what's the best one? Okay, now the best one 
still leaves room for so many others to be important and to be valuable. But Jesus responded not with just with what this is the great commandment, but he says this is the great and foremost commandment. And that's so important in understanding that this isn't just the biggest one or the best one, but this is the one from which all of the others proceed. Okay? And we're going to explain that in just a minute, but I want to say this, and here's the message in a nutshell. Our singular goal and purpose in life is to love God with our entire being. Our singular goal and purpose in life is to love God with our entire being, everything that you have. Jesus puts this forward as that first and foremost, or the first and greatest, or the greatest and foremost, however those translations work, okay? The concept is one of them speaks to this bigness and size, and the other one speaks to source. It's the source of all the commandments, okay? And he gives this commandment, and that is, if you want to, if you want to hang everything that you're supposed to be doing as a follower of Christ, on, on this, right? Jesus said, hey, your goal after I leave is to go and make disciples, teaching them to observe what? Everything I've commanded you, okay? If there's one easy way to observe everything that Jesus has commanded us, it would come from these verses right here. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And from that, let love for your neighbor proceed or come out of it. So the singular purpose in your life, in my life, is just simply to love God with every single thing that you have. Matthew Henry said it this way. I love this quote. Go ahead and put that up on the screen. Matthew Henry said this. He said, this is the first and great commandment for, here's why, obedience to this is the spring of obedience to all the rest. Here's what this means in layman's terms. If you get the first one right, all of the rest will automatically begin to happen in your life. You got that? In other words, if you just focus on doing this, you're not gonna forget anything else. You're gonna be right, okay? You just love God with everything you have. The, the, um, the spring of obedience to all the rest, which is then only acceptable when it flows from love. You know what the problem with the Old Testament was? The problem with the Old Testament was the people focused so much on the outward things to do that they forgot about the internal commandments like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. If they would have just focused on that, it would have internalized the law and they wouldn't even have had to worry about memorizing all of the rest. Love God with everything you have. So point number one, there's two points today. It's not hard to figure out what they're gonna be. The first point is this, Love God. Love God. Church, if we did everything in our lives, I'm not, not everything in your church, right? I'm not talking about every night of VBS, every Sunday morning, every community group meeting. I'm just saying, if you did everything in your life based on that one criteria, love God with everything you have, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. If you focused on that, 
all of the problems that I mentioned within our church will just slowly fade away. If we would love God with every single thing we've got. This is an interesting construction here because he gives three uh, describers of this. Love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And, and certainly you could seek to define what those terms mean. Um, with all your heart speaks to maybe your vitality, your life, your physical life. With, with all your soul could um, speak to all of those uh, emotional things in your life. Um, or it could speak to the eternal part of you as that which is, which is um, in your spirit revived and saved. Um, and then with all of your might could speak to all of your strength or all of your abilities. That's everything that you do in your life. But the reality is, I think it's so much simpler just to say this. Jesus is using these terms, and of course they're patterned. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Um, we read that a couple weeks ago in the service. Deuteronomy chapter 6, they're patterned off of these same words from the Old Testament. Um, and and here, here's what it is. He's simply saying, love God with everything you got. Just don't hold anything back. Does, does that make sense? It, it, it is love God with everything in this life. Love God with everything in your eternity. Love God with everything in your soul, the invisible part of you. Love God with all of your strength. Serve and labor and love after him. But the reality is the, the Bible uses these terms to essentially leave no doubt that the word all is the key component in understanding to what extent we should and must love God. It's with all, every part of our being, love God and pour out your love to him. To this extent, if we would love God to such an extent that everybody who sees us knows that first in our lives, that we love him. Of course, we mentioned the Pharisee, the lawyer, asked him, what's the great commandment? But Jesus responds not with, this is just the great commandment, but this is the great and foremost commandment. Let's talk about that for a second. The, the idea or the concept of greatness speaks to the quantity or the size of this commandment, okay? So in other words, what does that mean? It's one of those things that of all the commandments that, that were given in the Old Testament, hundreds of them given to these people, this is the one whose size speaks to its worth, whose size and scope speaks to the value that this commandment brings. It is a weighty commandment. But then he also gives another adjective on top of the lawyer's question. He says it's also the foremost. Now, when we look at that word foremost, we also could use the first to describe it, okay? But I want to tell you there's a little bit of a difference between just first and this concept of what Jesus is, 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 is speaking to here. And, and that is this. It's not just the first in the sense that it comes first. It's the first in the sense that it is the source of all the rest. Okay? 
We catch that? It's not just the first in the sense that it's the one that happens first, or it's the first one in a list, but it's the first in the sense that the rest flow out of it. In other words, the easy way to say this, the descriptive way to say this is, okay, we've got two commandments here, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, okay? The way to love your neighbor as yourself, the proper way, according to the grammatical understanding of this text, the proper way to love your neighbor as yourself is this, through your love for God. Let me describe it in, in a, a, an understanding, an illustration here. Missionary goes overseas. He leaves everything in his life behind. He says, I'm going to go to the, the most remote place in all of the earth. And I'm going to minister to these people. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love them. And I'm going to cherish them. And I'm going to pour out my life for them. Does he do that? Because one day he just simply decided to love those people. The missionary goes because the love of God took over his life and it caused him to love those people. You see the difference? It's, it's more because than it is simply choosing, okay, I'm gonna love my neighbor as myself. And the love that we're to have for God has to be the life source from which everything else we do flows. We're going to get into this in the third sermon of the series. And that is the concept that if you are not serving God out of love, if there's any other reason in it, right? And it may be a noble reason. I'm not, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not putting that down. But if, if you're serving God because um, of, of any other reason, you got to stop, pause, hold it, and you got to return to the first love. Because everything that you should do should derive from love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. As the foremost commandment, it then becomes the source for every other thing that we do in this life. 16, 17 months ago, y'all called me to be your pastor. Awesome time. I am so thankful to be able to be here and to serve with you. And I have fallen in love with you, with this community, with, with, with what God is doing here. Absolutely. But, I did not come here because I love you. I love you now, but I came here because I love God with all my heart. Okay? Doesn't mean that I'm not serving you with love because I have that for you now too. I've said that. Listen, I, my heart is with you. My heart is tied to you. And God has done that and it's a special thing. But, 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 woe is me if I ever get to the place as a pastor where the source of my ministry is my love for you, it has to be the love for God. That's the source. He's the cause. This 
is the effect. So out of your service, out of your praise, out of your heart, right? All of those other things, those become the effect of your love for God. He's the cause. And I want you to get this because if you get this, point number two is easy. Love your neighbor as yourself. It is not hard. It doesn't take a lot of theology to understand it. It's a pretty simple concept. But understand this, if you wake up on Sunday morning and you're going to teach a Sunday school class, do it as the effect with your love for God as the cause. Does that make sense? If you wake up and you're going to disciple somebody in a D group, pour yourselves out to some people and you want to to disciple them to follow Christ, don't do that as the cause of your joy. The cause is God. The effect is what you're doing. You serve in the sound booth. You serve in the worship team. Serve in the children's ministry, the youth ministry. You go to Honduras. Whatever it is, let that be the effect, the aftermath. But let the the life-changing, the wrecking ball ought to be the love that God has for you and that you have back for him. Let that be the wrecking ball in your life that just tears you up for him. Love God with all your heart. And then point number two is real simple. You've already heard it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. We could describe this. We could could explain this. But the bottom line is this, and I believe this so purely and so convincingly. I believe this. If you will straighten out, love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, man, I'm telling you how quick love your neighbor as yourself falls into place. It becomes so simple because the love that God has for us and that we reciprocate back to him transforms us into his image. Here's the invitation this morning. For six, seven weeks now, I have asked the church to pray for one, one thing. God rekindle our first love. Now, you know what that is. What is our first love? It is love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind as the cause of everything else in our life. The root cause of everything that we should do. Pray for your one, you do it because you love God. You go speak to your one and share the gospel with them, you do it because you love God. You serve all week long in VBS, you're tired, you're wore out, it's exhausting. Truth be told, I love getting a pie put in my face, but not because I like to have pie all over my face. It's because my love for God has led me to love children. And I'll do it for them. But it's rooted in that. You teach a small group. You serve on a ministry team. You go to Thailand, Honduras, wherever else God would call you. You live an outspoken Christian life 
in the workplace, the school place, the play place. Because of the first love. The first love. So here's the invitation. It's simple. Two points to it. The first point is this. Some of you in here have never experienced God's love. And so therefore you cannot love God with all your heart, soul, and mind because you have not experienced God's love for you. Here it is. If you're here today and you've never experienced God's love for you, I want you to come down here and simply say, we're gonna have an invitation, we're gonna stand up, there's gonna be a song playing. My hope is hardly anybody's singing it because everybody's praying. But during that song, here's what I want you to do. You just come down front and you say to me, normally I say this, normally I say, just tell me as the pastor say, I wanna be saved. This morning, just come down front and say, I want to know God's love. I want to know God's love. Just like those young men did this week in VBS. I want to know God's love. For the rest of the church, here's my prayer for y'all this morning. May the invitation song, and I, I love our musicians, they do such a great job. Maybe this gets a hold of their hearts so much, they don't even play, they don't even sing. But may the invitation song be just the background this morning. And let's get on our knees and ask God to rekindle our first love. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're able, stand with me. If God's getting a hold of your heart, go ahead and get on your knees. God, we don't even know what to say other than help us to love you with all of our heart. Help us to love you with all of our soul and help us to love you with all of our mind. Lord, we have allowed petty differences and rivalries like those Pharisees and Sadducees get to our head. We have puffed ourselves up in pride. We have forgotten why we do what we do. Lord, we have allowed laziness to come in between us and living our best life for you. We have left off the service of you, our master, and for that, we are ashamed. Lord, we have served out of obligation and not out of love. We've walked the Christian life out of necessity rather than out of reciprocal love for you. And so God, in our heart today, name.